Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. I might create a new game. I looked at creating a game that just had four pockets on. I looked at the table, we started playing it. I went, you know what, I like this. It's a cross between Paul and Snooker. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. Now you're very welcome back to so Newcastle. Return to the Champions League, first time since 2002, and it seems much like Graham Potter, Eddie Howe's first ever Champions League game, will be one he manages in, is uh, the word he's never been to a Champions League game before. So it's all feel good on Tyneside. Very happy to say Kieran Kelly from the Newcastle Evening Chronicle is with us. Evening, Kieran. Thanks for the time. Good evening. How are you doing? Very well. So 20 years ago, with uh, Newcastle and the Champions League, it was a case of everybody's second team kind of vibes. The 1990s popularity into Bobby Robson's time. I think it's fair to say Newcastle are operating in a more complicated space in 2023. We'll come on to the off the pitch aspect in a few moments. But to talk on the pitch, you might give us a sense of how you think they've managed to do this so quickly the takeover was in October of 21 Steve Bruce didn't last very long Eddie Howe arrived November 21 he took them from relegation to 11th in his first season and now Champions League football second season this is way out of schedule I don't think uh, many people predicted this in year two so talk to us what are you seeing up there week to week yeah I think you speak to anyone by the scenes they won't say this is down to one thing it's been a whole host of factors that have come together in the past 18 months like you say I think last summer their recruitment was again savvy and the players they brought in elevated the team once more with Nick Pope Sven Botman and Alexander Isak it's a real strong spine players who are going to grow with the club and then you know they they had the benefit of Eddie Howe's pre-season Eddie Howe's first full pre-season was really important it's easy to forget this Newcastle team were a team that relied on transitions on counter-attack were ones that sat back only you know last season now they're a front foot team they get in your face they win the ball high up the pitch they're a team that can really ruffle feathers and go to toe to toe to toe rather with anyone so there's been that aspect i think the togetherness and spirit that's been at the club is is such a powerful force and it's probably hard to put into words really because for so long this was a club that wasn't united um you know the, the fans were fragmented it was a club that once had to give away 10,000 half-season tickets, which at any club is unimaginable. But in Newcastle, it, it's partic- it was particularly striking and it showed the apathy in those final years of the Ashley era. Whereas now, you know, from, from top to bottom, I think everyone's rowing in the same direction and, and that's taken the club really far. They have spent uh, the guts of 250 million sterling across this period, which is similar to... Spurs. This isn't an outrageous splurge by any means. Trippier for 12 million, uh, remarkable value. I'm sure he's getting a good wage, but remarkable value nonetheless. Uh, Sven Botman, Isak for 60 million looks like by the standards of today to be good value. Uh, Bruno Gamiraj for 35 million, again, exceptional value, I would think. Dan Byrne, 13 million. Nick Pope, 10 million. Who's driving that? Because the shrewdness there, I mean, let's be honest, Kieran, we were all hoping for a Rubinho period at Newcastle <laughs> and it hasn't quite happened. No, I, I think they maybe looked at the Man City 
situation. They've looked at what clubs have done wrong previously. They had templates to learn from and, and do it their way. And let's be honest, was anyone else going in for Dan Byrne when he joined Newcastle? You know, they've been really smart. This, as you said, hasn't just been about throwing money at it. Look at what Chelsea have done in the past two windows, what they've spent. Just because you have money doesn't mean you spend it right. They've been very shrewd and it's all about alignment behind the scenes. They've got a transfer committee who are very much on the same page, whether it's Eddie Howe, whether it's the head of recruitment, Steve Nixon, whether it's sporting director, Dan Ashworth. They're they're all very much aligned in what a Newcastle United target looks like. That's someone who really fits that kind of range on the continent of you know being under 24, who can grow with the club, who could be someone who can be there to help them challenge to get in a spot in the Champions League, but also can play in the Champions League, could potentially one day be part of a side that challenges for trophies. They're very much got a, a, a real profile built there, and I think that's what they're going to continue to do this summer. And despite the endless wealth of the Saudi PIF, the club have routinely made the point that financial flair play rules prohibit them from going out and dropping half a billion in a summer. I, is, is that what you're hearing on the ground? Uh, that That is the primary driver as opposed to shrewdness. They simply can't go out and spend the kind of money that they could afford to spend. Yeah, it's, it's like you said, they're so far ahead of schedule that the revenues haven't caught up because you have to remember how neglected the club was before the takeover. Commercially, it it was it was a non-entity. Uh, you know, the training ground was Championship League One standard. This was the starting point of what Newcastle was when, when it was taken over. And I think they they haven't been able to push it forward so quickly overnight, but I think that's actually worked in their favour, you know, building sustainably, you know, bringing in those Dan Burns, like I mentioned, that, that's been smart business. If they went straight into signing, I don't know, uh, uh, Zapata from Atalanta or, you know, these kind of players who might have been available, I don't think that would have necessarily been the right way. I think that it's been very character-driven. They've gone for players who, who want to play for the club. And for years, we've heard people don't want to play for Newcastle because of where the geography is. Mm. Um, and you mentioned Kieran Trippier and money there. He took a pay cut to come to Newcastle because he wanted to come back to the north of England. I'm, I know you might think that isn't true, but it is, you know, that people want to play for the club. They, the project appeals to them. And I think that's put them in good stead. But like you said, the the off the field side of it has to catch up. You know, getting the Champions League one off will be a huge benefit for them. But I think to really benefit now, they, they're going to have to do that year on year. You mentioned Howe's first pre-season with the team as being important and I suppose that is borne out in the nature of their performances now. As you said, they are front foot. Uh, the physicality of this team is right up there with any team in the Premier League. Uh, any number of performances. Uh, a lot of people might have seen the Manchester United game a couple of weeks ago at St James's Park. They ran all over Manchester United. It, it was just so stark, that difference in physicality. And married to the atmosphere at St. James's Park, it, I would think it's a pretty phenomenal place to be covering football every week uh, for you. You know, it, it really is um, in sync, the, the, the atmosphere in the stands with the, the type of football they're playing. I don't know if Eddie Howe's been asked at any stage, did he try and play a style of football which would prompt that kind of reaction from the stands or is it just a more organic, happy coincidence? I, I, I remember a couple of years ago, for instance, I think it was when um, a Belgian manager, name's gone out of my head, got relegated with Wigan. 
was one of Everton's managers, Martinez. Roberto Martinez. Yeah. yeah. When he was at uh, Goodison and Carragher was making the point, this style of football doesn't fit in with this crowd. It's just not going to work. Goodison is high tempo, high octane. That's just the way it has to be. And an Everton yeah. manager should recognise that. Be really curious if Howe's ever spoken about that issue at all. Yeah, I think he he's he did his research on the DNA of Newcastle United before he took the job. He he grew up watching Kevin Keegan's teams. He he actually spoke to Kevin Keegan before he took the job. He was one of the first people he spoke to, interestingly. But I think his style of play fitted that DNA anyway. You look at his Bournemouth teams, they might not have had the same profile in terms of media, but they were teams that would go to toe to toe with the, the best in the business. And um I think he was well suited in that regard but the big thing for me what's what's been so striking is defensively they've been so good that he's he went away during his break and that defensive stability that Newcastle have you know there very few teams have conceded fewer goals in in Europe mm. than Newcastle in the top leagues and that's given them a real foundation to build from and i think him embracing that side of the game has has really shown how he's evolved as a manager He's still a young manager yeah. and that's really been to Newcastle's benefit because before he took charge, Newcastle's DNA was sitting back, inviting pressure, trying to nick a fluky goal against a top team. Mm. It's not what the fans wanted. They wanted a team that was willing to get in people's faces and they're getting that now uh, yeah. and spades. Yeah, and like people can roll their eyes when you talk about DNA or what the fans want, but I like... If you haven't been to St James's Park, then yeah. you could be a quick a bit quick to write that off, and naively so. It it is a reality of the football up there, and the defensive point is very well made as well because that was a criticism of how uh, at Bournemouth. So he seems to be in an extraordinary place. Everything about it seems to be good. Like they would be right back to most people's second favorite team again, were it not for where yeah. I'm going. So you're up there, Kieran. I'm, I'm I'm judging by your accent. You're not a local lad. Uh, <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. If you write for the Newcastle Chronicle, I don't know how often you've done it, for instance, but if you write a piece which is along the lines of everything is so good in so many ways, but to be honest, there is lots about the Saudi project that we should not feel good about or we have to question. What tends to be the reaction? How visceral is it? What what kind of truck does uh, that line of thinking uh, generate these days up in Newcastle? The thing is, I, I think it's it's dangerous to to go into writing something thinking about that. I think you have to write what you feel and what you believe in. So, for example, when the the Saudi kit leaked uh, last summer, uh, I didn't feel comfortable with that. I wrote that, not thinking, oh, I'm going to get pelters for that. I think it's it's dangerous to go down that road of, oh, what will people think? Um, personally, what I will say is, Newcastle United fans are intelligent. You know, it isn't 52,000 people with, you know, tea towels on their heads. Like I think sometimes people outside the region perceive them to be, they're, they're smart people who are very aware of, of what's going on in Saudi Arabia. But we shouldn't judge them if they want to focus on the football as well. You know, it's their club. They didn't have a say on who was the owner before the, the Saudis came in. They don't have a say on who the owner is now. I think it's... There's maybe a feeling for them that they feel like sometimes they're being ganged up on and I think, you know, they can be wrongly painted sometimes. So it's a good platform just to get that across. But for me, you know, I think personally, you know, anytime I've I've written pieces on the owners, you know, you want to make sure that you have that in mind and, you know, you're 
you're thinking about what amnesty I've, I've come up with. You're, you're looking at the human rights abuses, you know, you wouldn't be a human being if you didn't do that. Yeah. So I take the point in the fans. I've never seen any expression of unease about the owners at the games. There, there have been outside the stadium on the ground. Yeah, there have been protest groups. But yeah, it's let's put it this way. When we did a poll here at the Chronicle uh, before the takeover happened, it was, it was, you know, 99% of fans were in favour of it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 overwhelming um, in, in favour of it. And I think, though, to understand that, maybe you do have to understand what came beforehand, what happened for 14 years that people literally walked away from their season tickets, that the, the apathy was so overwhelming that supporters felt so disillusioned that it, it, it's gone the other way. Um, the, in the space of, you know, 18 months, the, the club has flipped and, and the feeling around the city has flipped. Yeah, it does feel like they've adopted a Millwall-esque, nobody likes us and we don't care type of attitude. That That is the sense I get from Newcastle fans now. I think, I think there's... In the northeast, maybe there's 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 a feeling that they're 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 painted in a certain way, you know that that they're they're forgotten about that you know they're, they're looked upon differently from other parts of the country, um, you know whether it be in government investment and what have you. And I think this idea that us against the world, you know, like you say, you know, being booed off at Anfield, being booed off at Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace aren't traditional rivals for Newcastle United. I think the players, the fans, they've embraced that. They unofficial motto is, you know, they're not here to be like, they're here to compete. And I think they've taken that on and it's become part of the club now. Um, it was interesting as well that the purchase was approved very much on the basis in the Premier League's eyes, less so I think in the British government's eyes, but on the Premier League's eyes that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia would not have any control over the club. And the Premier League said that was a, quote, clear condition. And they said, quote, it couldn't be in any way controlled by the Saudi government. And so the purchase uh, went through. Therefore, we can assume that assurances were given. Then, like a couple of months ago, you see the Live Golf case in California and uh, the Live people there own the same ownership as Newcastle, in effect. They want to prevent certain documents being made available for discovery. And their argument is, uh, sorry, we're not ordinary third parties. You're infringing on the sovereignty of the state. Uh, this is an instrument of the state. We have a sitting member of the Saudi government who happens to be the Newcastle chairman. Uh, therefore, you know, these documents, you can't just treat us like Kieran Kelly and Joe Malloy here. We're, we're the government. Uh, so, I mean, it's making a laughing stock of the whole situation. Like it's, it's obvious what's gone on here and the Premier League have facilitated it. And like, it's a disgrace. And I don't even say that with much passion because I think we're all just so beaten down by the lack of regulation in the world of football. But it is a disgrace. I mean, the assurances they've gi that were given and, and look what they're saying in a court of law in California just a few months ago. So I don't know how anybody at the club can stand over that. And I, I don't know if they're being asked about that all that often. Well, listen, I mean, the Yasser Al-Ramayan has, has yet to speak to the media here. We, we would love to put these these questions to him. He's obviously the chairman of the club, um, who you mentioned is the governor of the PIF. But I think this, this really just came down to piracy for the Premier League. I think this whole idea of, you know, written assurances and that they, they had those written assurances going back when the takeover stalled. The issue was the, the, the blockade around the piracy. 
And once that was lifted, you know, it's not a coincidence, you know, the takeover happened, but I don't think you'll ever hear the Premier League come out and say that. And um, for me, you know, the horse are kind of bolted when it comes to the ownership model that the Premier League welcomed in many years ago. And again, you know, if the PIF didn't buy Newcastle United, you know, they, they would have bought another football club, whether it be in this country or, or somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, you're not wrong in saying that and yet it's like it's such a weak excuse isn't it really you know and, and that's just the reality of the situation on Eddie Howe and he's handled the, the accusations of sports washing I mean fairly or otherwise he's the public face of the club most of the time and so I remember him being asked about it certainly when he took the job first uh, certainly around the time of the 81 executions, uh, many of them beheadings uh, for not the most egregious of crimes as well. In the space of one weekend, it blew up again in a big way. He was asked about it and like it was pretty weak as well. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm too busy with football to be on top of a lot of this stuff. I'll, I'll read up on it. How routinely is he asked about the fact that he is the public face of a sports washing project? Yeah, I mean it's it's particularly when it's a it's it's always a hot issue, but when it when it's in the news, when like you say that live golf case, it, it came up again. It's probably every every two or three months that he's been asked about this, but the response hasn't changed. Um, you know, the, the, in some ways, you it, it shouldn't fall to him to be in front of the cameras. I would personally like the owners to yeah. be asked these questions because that's who it's relevant to. Um, I know, yes, he's the manager of the football club, but for me, it should be Yasser Al-Ramayn who should be sitting in front of reporters and, and, and facing these questions. Mm. But I don't think we will see that day, uh, personally, not anytime soon. Well, listen, if you get the one-on-one with them, uh, we, we'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, and I guess the last question on, on this whole area, and we would find it our, ourselves when we talk about Newcastle, and I suspect you're acutely conscious of it week on week, it's difficult to know to what extent it should be a point of emphasis. Like, do we have a ticker running along the bottom of the, uh, the screen of our conversation at all times saying we have serious misgivings about uh, Newcastle, misgivings about how Eddie Howe has answered the questions about the ownership uh, as we're talking about what a great job he's done. It is just this cloud over what should be the biggest party since 2002. Yeah, possibly uh, outside the region, I've... I don't think it's, I think you would have to caveat every little thing that happens to the club from here on in if if, if that's the way it's going. I think I'd, I'd compare it a bit to the, the Man City situation, how people are are kind of interpreting that and, and getting their head around that, you know, that there's this asterisk beside Man City's achievements now until yeah. otherwise proven. Um yeah, it's 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 not going to go away for Newcastle United. Um, I think it's 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 always going to be there in the background, probably even more so as as the club gets more successful. Uh, the, these are questions that you know we we have to face and have to ask. Yeah, how equipped finally are they for two fronts next year, Champions League? Yeah, it's the big challenge. Even if you look at uh, taking on the European football, we've seen with West Ham how difficult it's been for them to juggle. Uh, Newcastle played such a high intensity, you know, one of the most intense teams in the Premier League to then do that in the Champions League a few days later. It's it's going to be a big ask, but I think their mentality is very much they're not just happy to qualify. 
they want to go and make a dent in the competition. So I'd expect them to bring in those four or five elite additions this summer to really take that squad on because they need that bit of depth. I think we saw in January, maybe when they were knocked out of the FA Cup by Sheffield Wednesday, they played a lot of their fringe players there and they just weren't up to it. And mm. to really compete at, at, at both levels, you you need players to sub in who are, who are nearly as good as each other. And there are certain areas in that team that they need that added quality. So I, I think they, they're well aware of the challenge. They're well ahead of schedule, of course. But, you know, who would have thought Sean Longstaff would be playing in the Champions League two years ago? But, you know, he looks like he's going to be a big part of it. It's the same with people like Fabian Scher, Miguel Almiron, Joe Linton. You know, these players have yeah. improved so much and, and we shouldn't lose sight of that, I guess. No, it's, sorry, on the football side of things, it's it's exceptional. I mean, Eddie Howe has done an exceptional job. Uh, he really has. Like, it, it's to be marvelled at. Um, and, and the two points we made about him aren't mutually exclusive by any means. As a last one, and you mentioned Joe Linton, who's like just a joy to watch. I mean, he's a freak of nature in there. He's so good. Uh, is there any insight into how Eddie Howe has managed to improve all of these players? Because in some ways, that is the most admirable aspect of the job. I think it's it's a combination of... of just modern, he's a modern manager, you know, uh, these players didn't have that sort of coaching for a while from from what we understand. It sounds so simple, you know, you should expect a manager to improve players, but for many years, a lot of these players were stagnating, you know, Sean Longstaff, for example, looked a player who was lost, who um, really needed someone to, to save his career almost, even though he's still so young and, yeah. and you look how Eddie Howe's come in and done that. Same with Joe Linton, Joe Linton, um, I know it was maybe a bit of an accident that he ended up in midfield, but just look how he's improved in that position, you know, how he's improved year on year and still next year can go up another level. I think it's just having a manager who knows how to get the best out of his players, who can give them those those detailed instructions that they need because these are intelligent footballers, but I just don't think they were maximised under the previous manager and they have a manager now who, who's able to get the best out of them. Yeah. It certainly looks that way. Listen, uh, I suspect an exciting season for you next year. Get the passport ready, get going. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for your time, Kieran. Appreciate it. No, thank you. Cheers. Kieran Kelly there from the Newcastle Chronicle. And our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. Don't miss Brighton Man City this Wednesday, live only on Sky Sports. Back in one sec. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk.